0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. And we so do uh, need your prayers. We really do need your prayers. And uh pastor mentioned I, something I mentioned this morning. For you. those of you that weren't here in the Sunday school hour, one of the things that we're needing the Lord to work out during the course of this uh, latter part of this year is uh, the building that we're renting. Uh, we were due to uh, renew the contract this year, uh, February of this year, right before we came back to the States. And right, the, the, I think it was the day before we were to sign the contract, to renew uh, the, for three years the, one of the owners of the building we're renting from she called and said she had changed her mind and she wanted us out of the building by the end of this year and so we, now we have six months left to try to uh, uh, hopefully the Lord will change her heart and change her mind and she'll allow us to stay that would be the best thing I think but God may have other plans as the pastor mentioned it's, it's in the hands of the Lord and so God ha- may have something else for us and, and that's all well and fine if he does but please pray with us that God will intervene and he'll work this out that we could either stay there or in the next six months we'll be able to find something that we could uh, afford to rent and begin the process of moving uh, into another building uh, and that would be a, a, a great value to us if you would pray with us about that we sure would appreciate that and um, because renting down there a building for a church is not an easy task and I shared a little bit about that this morning but it's uh, suffice it to say it's not an easy task we face a lot of challenges trying to get people to rent us a building to hold uh, church services in um, a couple of things I wanted to share with you about our, our about our culture. I didn't mention these things this morning, but a couple of things that that uh, uh, some might find interesting. Um, uh, back in 2000, I think it was 2016, or maybe last year, 2017. There was a study done over in Europe by a group in I think one of the major universities in Europe. I can't remember which, uh, but they studied uh, cultures of the cultures. I think of the top 50 or 60 most industrialized countries in the world and in that study one of the things that came out of that study that was most relevant to Argentina was that the culture of the people of Argentina uh, according to the study are the most have the most the, the closest comfort zone, personal comfort zone, when dealing with strangers. And our comfort zone down there, they said, according to the study, averaged out to about 25 or 26 inches of proximity when you're talking or dealing with an absolute stranger. And the United States was up there around 38 or 40 inches. And so uh, uh, that was one of the things that came out. And then also one of the things that came out of that study, along with that, was that the Argentine people uh, are the most likely to touch each other uh, when conversing. They're very, uh, very much a, a touchy-feely type uh, people down there. And so uh, I was, we were talking to one of the, the ladies out in the foyer earlier, and. For us, that was a, a kind of a bit of a reverse culture shock when we came back here, especially up here to the north, where people stand and, and shake your hand way out here like this, and we're like thinking in the back of our minds, why are you being so unfriendly? Because you know? <laughs> to us, that down there, that's a sign of unfriendliness. But uh, I know, I know that it's not, that's not the case. I, I understand that. But in the back of our minds, subconsciously, we're thinking, wow, these people are really uh, unfriendly. But uh, if you are, ever want to come down to visit us in Argentina, you're more than welcome to come down. We, a few years ago, we had a, a couple come from Chicago. Uh, several, uh, quite a few years ago, they, a couple came from Chicago to visit us. They were out of a church that supports us, and the, the wife uh, happened to work for one of the airline companies, and so she had uh, free tickets to fly I guess just about anywhere. They decided to fly to Argentina, spend a few days with us and and tour the country a little bit. And they came down there. And uh, when they got down there, I told them, uh, tried to share with them uh, some of the things to expect about our culture down there. Now, down there in Argentina, we greet each other and we say goodbye with a, a brief kiss on the cheek. That's how we greet each other and uh, say goodbye and I told them that and we were going to the Bible college where I teach uh, that was mentioned in the video and uh, because the students uh, we had at that time we had I think 13, 14 students. And the students really wanted to meet this couple from the United States. And so I told them, well, we'll bring them up here to show them the school and show them around. And I told the students, now, listen, these, these folks are from a part of the United States where uh, they, they shake hands and they, they don't get very close. And so please try to respect that. And then the, the couple, when we were going over there, I told them now... If you want to, uh, uh, I've already told them. I already told the students, uh, and not to expect to kiss them on the cheek and things like that. And I said, well, now if you just stick out your hand and shake your uh, shake hands like you normally would, they should respect that. I think uh, they will. Well, we got to the school and we got out of the, the vehicle and one of the students, one of the young men that was there, he was just so overjoyed to have these visitors. He ran up there and just gave him a big old hug and a kiss on the cheek and that poor lady was just like, <laughs> like didn't know what was happening. I tell you what, she was just over, overwhelmed. I thought she was going to have cardiac arrest right there, but uh, it was not what she was expecting, not what she was planning on doing for the, that day, I tell you what. But uh, if you come down, you'll be more than welcome to come down. We love to have visitors and show them around our country, show them our ministry and things like that. But uh, be expecting the full treatment <laughs> uh, up, up close and personal. That's how they are down there. But uh, with that aside, another thing that happened, uh, and this is, goes along with the, the, the message tonight, uh, back in 2002, when we first went down there, I went down there in January 2002 to, to look for a house to rent and, and try to get our household set up a little bit. I found a few uh, furnishings for our house and things like that. God provided in a miraculous way. And then I took my family down there in May after we were able to do all the, get all the visa paperwork finalized and pack a container and send it down there and things like that. But in December 2001... In December 2001, the country of Argentina went through a very major social upheaval. I mean, a very major social upheaval. Prior to December 2001, the economy, they, they had tied their peso to the dollar. So it was for one peso for one dollar. And it had been that way for 10 years. And so they were used to uh, being able to purchase things and buy things and import and export things at the same rate that... The dollar was buying in the international market. Well, in 2001, December 2001, all that just went out the window. That bubble, that financial bubble just burst. And it went from, overnight, it went from one peso to one dollar to three pesos for a dollar. And uh, there was so much, um, uh, there had just recently been a, a in November that year, no, 2001, there had just recently been an election. And they, the people just blamed all the problems that were going on on this new president. Well, December 2001 was the beginning of this crisis. And in, in about, I think it was like 12 days, 10 to 12 days, sometime around there, they went through five different presidents. Five different men as presidents in, in roughly a 10 to 12 day span. In January, when we went down there, I had pastors calling me and emailing me. Hey, Brother Barnes, you know what's going on down in Argentina? You know, they're having this big social upheaval. The crisis down there, there's rioting in the streets, there's looting, there's people killing other people. Are you sure it's a good time to go down to Argentina right now? I'm like, well, I've been praying about it, and I still feel like the Lord would have us to go down now. So I went down there in January, and like I said, found a house, took the wife and the children down there in May, in the middle of all that crisis and in that crisis they, the government had closed the banks I don't know if any I'm not old enough to remember the Great Depression here in the United States but they closed the banks and the banks were closed for I think around three and a half months three and a half months and then when they opened them they were open, only opening at first they only opened the banks one day a week for about four hours can you imagine the lines I remember seeing lying for blocks down the street, people trying to get in the bank to get some money. And to top that off, what the government did was they actually went into people's banking accounts, the government did, and took money out to fund the government. And so imagine going one day you have... X amount of pesos in your account that's equal to the same amount in dollars. And the next day you wake up and find that your bank account is now worth one-third what it was the day before. And then when you go finally get into a bank three or four months later, you find that half of what you had is just gone. Because the government took it to fund the government. That's how things were that year, 2002. And they've had a history of of social upheavals throughout the years ever since they won their independence and and things like that but what I'm trying to I want to share that I wanted to share that with you because I know that we all don't go through that type of major crises. I know we don't God forbid that we see that type of thing happen here in the United States I don't know it could happen the way things are going I don't know it could happen here sometime I don't know I hope not but I do know that even though we normally don't face those type of major crises in our life, we do find ourselves oftentimes as Christians facing a series of minor crises. Do we not? Sometimes, and Sometimes there may be one big problem in our life, one big change in our life, and then a series of little minor things. Sometimes it seems like everything's going just right. But what do we do as Christians, how do how do we react to those crises? How do we react or how should we act when we find ourselves in those times of life when it just seems like everything around us is falling apart? When everything around us just seems like the world is just turning upside down. You know, the Bible tells us and God expects us as his children not to react or act as the world does in those types of situations he doesn't why because we're his children we have he has given us things to help us through this life and I'd like to call your attention to Micah chapter 7 if you will Micah in chapter 7 and I'd like to look at a, a few verses here to try to give us an idea some three fundamental things that I hope will help us remind us of how we ought to act as Christians during times when the world is seemingly falling apart around us. And maybe just you're a small part of the world. You look around and it seems like everybody else's life is just going fine. Maybe you look around and it seems like everybody else is just seeming to be blessed upon... Abundantly by the Lord and everything's just going well for everybody else but maybe just in your part of the world in your family in your particular life maybe things aren't going quite so well as you would like so how do we not fall apart? how do we not fall apart? well here in Micah chapter 7 I want to read just 7 verses here or 8 verses uh, or the first 7 verses to see what Micah writes and give us 3 things to help us not to fall apart when the seemingly the world is falling apart. Micah wrote here in, in chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Woe is me, for I am as when the, they have gathered the summer fruits as the great gleanings of the vintage. There is no cluster to eat. My soul desired the first ripe fruit. The good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with a net that they may do evil with both hands earnestly. The prince asketh and the judge asketh for reward. And the great man, he uttereth his mischievous desire, so they wrap it up. i just pause right there. In verse 3, I know we don't have a a prince in charge of the United States. We have a president, we have congress, we have elected representatives. But in, in Argentina, we have an elected representative body down there but here is he's describing these leaders this prince asketh and the judge asketh for a reward asking for bribes asking for rewards here and the great man he says he uttereth his mischievous desire so they wrap it up they they close the deal they seal the deal in argentina According to Amnesty International, the, at least the last 16 years that we've been down there, Argentina has ranked up in the, in the top 20 of the most corrupt nations in the world. The government, I mean, there they, they really is. Um, it really is. Uh, I have been, uh, ex, ex, what's the word, extorted? Yeah, extorted by police down there. Not for very much, but hey, <laughs> extortion is extortion, you know? Uh, it really is. They'll, they'll take advantage of you. It, not all of them. There are some good policemen down there and there are some good elected leaders down there, but uh, just indicative of the country. It's corrupt. It's corrupt. What well, we go on to reading here, it says in verse 4, the best of them is as a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of thy watchmen and thy visitation cometh. Now shall be their perplexity. Trust ye not in a friend. Put ye not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. For the son dishonoreth the father. The daughter riseth up against the, her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Now there again, I, I read that and I think about Argentina. Down there, a, the society is, is as being are very much family oriented very much uh, relationship oriented but yet i read the news down there and daily i see very sad things very wicked things that happen in families down there things i don't even want to mention but very very wicked things that occur in families family members doing things to other family members And just today i was looking at the news online and trying to see uh, some of the things that are going on down there. And it's just incredible what some parents put their children through down there, what some, parent, some children do to their parents down there. Down in Argentina, the, the, the youth, the minors are, are inculpable, meaning that anybody, anybody that's not of age, they cannot be tried for anything. They can get away with murder, literally. They get arrested, taken to the jail, and the, the police try to determine if, they, if they're of age, and who, if they're not, who is their parent, their guardian, whatever, and they try to contact them, and then they release them. And they go right back out. I read an article today about a, a young man, 15, 16 years old. Uh, no, I'm sorry, he's 18, but just living a life of crime he had been in the in jail for like i think i think it said like eight months for for petty theft or robbery or something like that released and the exact same day he was caught stealing again many of them do that many of them do that but here the bible says that a man's enemies are the men of his own house and after this whole long passage here, first six verses that Mike is telling us about all these terrible things that's going on around him in his day that he's looking at, he says in verse 7, therefore, therefore, because of all this that he's just told us, that he's just written about, therefore, he said, I will look into the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation, my God will hear me. And I just want to try to pick apart that verse right there, verse 7, a little bit. Look at those three things, those three statements that he made. And I know it's not going to be very uh, theologically deep tonight, but I remember back when I was in high school and playing uh, athletics, uh, soccer, and football, and how oftentimes if we had a down day, a down game, we lost a game, oftentimes throughout the course of the next week, sometime during the course of the next week, once or twice, the coach would just hammer us on the fundamentals. Just hammers on the fundamentals. Why? Because inconsistency in the fundamentals would usually cost you the game more so than not following through on some of the more advanced things. And I think that is exactly true in our Christian life. Oftentimes when we fall as Christians, not uh, in some of the more deep theological discussions or anything like that, more uh, deep theological doctrines or something like that, it's when we begin to begin, uh, become inconsistent in the fundamentals. In just walking with God day by day. In reading our Bible. In spending time with God each and every day. It's the inconsistency in those basics that will cost us. And here, uh, uh, Micah gives us these three things. I want to look at these three things real quickly that I think will help us not to fall apart when the world around us is falling apart. He says, therefore, because of all that stuff he just wrote about, he says, therefore, first of all, I will look unto the Lord. I will look unto the Lord. When looking to the Lord, this includes looking to his word. God is a spirit. He's sitting at his throne up in heaven right now. We cannot physically see him, of course. But he has revealed himself in his written word. And it's in his word that we can see the Lord. We can learn more about him. We can see what it is he expects out of us. What it is that we should know about him. He says, I will look unto the Lord. I will look unto the Lord. Over in Psalm 121, Psalm 121, Psalm 121, uh, verses 1 through 2. The psalmist wrote this, Psalm 121, verses 1 through 2. He says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. And is it not the Lord's help that we most need in times of trial? Is it not the Lord's help that we most need when we are down and out and we're ready to throw in the towel and call it quits? Or even before we get to that point, when we just begin to enter the time of trial, when we just begin to enter in the time of difficulty or problems, it is not His help that we need most of all. Our help cometh from the Lord, the psalmist wrote. When looking to the Lord, His promises encourage me. When looking to the Lord, His word instructs me. When looking to the Lord, His spirit guides me. When looking to the Lord, His presence comforts me. And I have the... the, the, Fortune, the, the privilege of being able to spend most of my days and most of all of my day near my wife. I love my wife dearly. And I know she loves me. At least she said so. <laughs> but uh, she's such a help me. She really is. But there are times when I cannot help her and there are times when she can't quite help me. But our Lord can. The Lord can. Even though we know each other as well as we do, and we've been together 20, going on 29 years, there are times when our help just is not sufficient. But the Lord's is. We need to look to the Lord when, when, when things are not going quite right. We even need to look to the Lord when things are going right. We just need to look to the Lord as as his children do, as children do to their loving father. We need to look to God. He won't fail us. He won't fail us. As we sang earlier about his faithfulness, he is so faithful. He is so faithful. I'm so glad God has been faithful to us through the years, through the ups and downs. He is so faithful. And we need to learn to look to the Lord. More and more in these dark days, I think. More and more as our world gets more and more wicked. We need to look to the Lord. Trust in Him. And when we look to the Lord, that doesn't mean that we just uh, sit around and do nothing. It means we need to be active doing what we know we need to do. But look to Him for His guidance. Look to Him in His word for principles and, and wisdom to guide us through our life and help us along the way. And I know from my own experience that, that if I would do that, those types of things, look to him in his word for guidance and, and wisdom more, I could avoid uh, quite a few of the other uh, uncomfortable circumstances and situations that come up in my life more often as well. Because oftentimes the problems we face are because as a consequence of not looking to God and His Word, not following His principles, not following His guidance, not following and acting upon, acting upon His wisdom, we need to look to the Lord, my friends. Look to the Lord more and more. But Micah didn't just stop there. He said, "I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. I will wait." for the god of my salvation. Now this implies that some that we that the writer here and by fact that we are reading this this implies that we are expecting god to act rather than us reacting to the circumstances around us. He wrote after that whole long list of 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 dire things that were happening around him. When it seems like he says, again in verse five, trust ye not in a friend, put ye not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. He finished um, verse six saying, a man's enemies are the men of his own household, his own house. He says, therefore, therefore, I will wait for the God of my salvation. Because of all those things that were going on around him, he says, I'm going to wait on God. I'm going to wait on God. Why? Because he was expecting God to intervene. He's expecting God to do something that he could not do. And when it seems like everything is going wrong around us, when it seems like the world is turning upside down, God is the one that we need to expect to act. God is the one that we need to wait on. Wait for the God of my salvation. I will wait for the God of my salvation. Uh, I'd like to read a verse over in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. If you want to follow me over there, you can. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Isaiah wrote this He says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Who are these he's talking about? Those that wait upon the Lord. Those that wait upon the Lord. Those that wait and expectantly are expectant, expectant of the Lord to work and intervene in their lives. The ones that are expecting God to do something that they themselves cannot do. You know when we went down in Argentina in 2002 there were things that I could not do (laughs) I didn't know the language I didn't know the culture and yet God provided in ways that I that just go beyond description they he really did I mean there there have been so many times that that I mean just I stop and think about it. it just yep that was God working I think about what happened and just God working and the way that God uh, allowed me to be introduced to, to somebody that would cash a check drawn on a bank here in the United States way down there in Argentina so that I could get money when all the banks were closed. So that I could buy food for my family. The way that God intervened and allowed us to, to rent a house in just a matter of a few days when the prices were, nobody knew what they should price things because it was one-to-one one, one day and three-to-one the next day and they didn't know what was going to happen the next day after that. And God just provided. Provided a way for us to, to get a, buy a, a small van down there from a man that uh, needed the money and was wanting to sell a, practically a brand new van. But had we not waited on God, I'm convinced we would not have seen the hand of God working in our lives and in our ministry down there. Had we not waited on God, had we maybe turned our back on God and say, no, to me, it just doesn't seem like the right time to go. To me, my wisdom, man's wisdom, it just seems like we ought to wait and we'll just hang out here in the United States a little while longer and see what happens we would not have seen God work and do the things he did when we went down there that year. My friends, I am trying to say is we need to learn to wait on God more and more. It's just a, a process of maturing, a process of growing in our faith and our trust and confidence in him and allowing him to work. Over in Psalm 27, Psalm 27, uh, the psalmist wrote this, Psalm 27, verse 14, Let me find this real quick here. Psalm 27 and verse 14. He says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And then over just a couple pages in Psalm 37, verse 7. He says here, Psalm 37, verse 7, he says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Now, there's the key word. Wait patiently for him. I know a lot of us, that's our, our big problem. <laughs> Waiting for patiently for the Lord. You know, if you're like me, oftentimes you get down on your knees and pray and ask the Lord, to, to, Lord, I need you to do this. I need you to work in this, this circumstance in my life. And then we get up and go on our merry way. And five or ten minutes later, we're already trying to plan and scheme how we could work it out our own selves. Because we're not given to waiting patiently on on God. Waiting patiently on God. You know, my wife says that I'm a patient guy most of the time. I want to believe her. I really do. But I tell you what, sometimes I can be so impatient. Like yesterday. We were driving up this street here. um, Was it 24th or I think it was? 24th Street coming up to... Uh, the street that comes out here past the ball diamond, and the speed limit—I think is like thirty right there. And I was behind this group of cars, and they were going like thirty. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with these people? Why are they going so slow? And then I have to remind myself: Wait a minute, wait a minute, Greg. You are in the United States. People normally obey the speed limit. When it says thirty, they go thirty. They don't go sixty like we do down in Argentina. <laughs> and you have two nice rows of cars going down two lanes instead of four, cars, four lanes of cars going down two lanes, like we do down in Argentina. And I tell you what, I can get so impatient, especially behind the wheel, because I've become so used to the way they drive down there. You know, when I first went down there, I started driving. <laughs> They, uh, I, I got to some, some serious close calls of having wrecks when I first started driving because I was trying to drive according to the law, trying to obey the rules of driving down there. And then, I, after having some close calls, I began asking some of the, the men in the church where we were attending and working, and they said, Well, Brother, Brother Barnes, you just got to learn. Here is controlled chaos. If you try to follow the rules and the laws, you're going to throw a monkey wrench in the works and mess everything up. So you just got to learn to go and drive like everybody else. And after I learned that, everything was fine. <laughs> it really was. But anyway, we need to learn to wait on the Lord. Patience is, uh, I read that patience is the exercise of faith. Remember, we read over there, wait patiently for the Lord. And I have read, out not in the Bible, of course, but somebody wrote that patience is the exercise of faith. And we need to wait for God. His time is best. Wait for the God. His blessing is worth it. Wait for God. He won't disappoint you. We need to learn to wait on the Lord. It doesn't mean we just sit around and do nothing. We need to be active doing what we know we need to do as Christians. And wait for God to intervene. Or wait to, for God to work. Wait for God to do whatever it is we're expecting Him to do. But when the the writer here, Micah, says, "Therefore, I will wait for the God of my salvation," it's because he's expecting God to do something. How many times do we go through our day, not even expecting God to do anything? We just take for granted that He's there. We need to wait for God the God of our salvation the third thing real quickly here he says therefore I will look unto the Lord I will wait for the God of my salvation my God will hear me my God will hear me do you really really know that God will hear you do you really believe that do you act on that by talking to God, praying to God? If we, if he wrote, my God will hear me, and that's clearly indicating he believed or that he was going to say something to the God. Why else would God hear him? I've, I've had people down in Argentina that I've witnessed to tell me, well, you know, God just doesn't hear me. God's just too busy helping those people over there that he doesn't have time for me. I've had people tell me that. I'm sorry, I am sorry. I tell them I'm sorry, but you know, if that's, if that's how you think of God, your God is too, is too little. And you don't know the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible is not too busy with anybody else that he can't be involved in your life too. The fact of the matter is, he wants to have a personal relationship with each and every one of us. Each and every one of them down there. And he wants us to, to get to know him. And the only way we can get to know him, of course, is through faith in Jesus Christ. And being saved from our sins. Being redeemed. But he's, the writer here says, my God will hear me. My God will hear me. Though my cry be feeble, though my request be great or small, God will hear. God will hear, and he's not too busy with you to deal with me. He's not too busy working in my life that he can't help you out. My God will hear me. He will hear you too. And though others ignore or forsake us, God promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. God will hear us. But the question is, are we taking time to talk to him? Are we taking time to speak to him? Are we taking time to share with him our needs and our concerns, our problems? Well, preacher, God knows all that. Yeah, he knows all that, but he's our heavenly father. If if you're redeemed by him and you've been bought by the blood of Christ, you're one of his children, he wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. I love, to hear, I love to hear from my children. Thank the Lord for the technology that we have. We have Skype and all this stuff. And, and down there on the field, my, my oldest daughter, she has two, two boys now. We've got two grandkids. Praise the Lord for grandkids. But they, she calls us on Skype. A video, a video calls us on Skype just about every day just to say hi and let us talk to the grandkids. Oh, what a blessing that is. And I tell you, it, it is such a blessing, but I, love, I like to hear from them. Even if I know what's going on, even if what's going on in their life is mundane, routine things, I, I still like to hear from them. And I know, and I'm certain, that God wants to hear from us even more than those of us here this, today that have children and grandchildren, like to hear from our children and grandchildren. God wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. But the writer says, my God will hear me. He was going to talk to God. He was going to pour out his heart to God. He was going to share with God what was going on, even though God knew what was going on. This is indicative of somebody praying to God. And we find over in the New Testament, real quickly, and we'll close here, over in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Luke wrote this, Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. Writing about Jesus Christ, he says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That men ought always always to pray and not to faint. And then over over in the epistles of Paul, we find he wrote many times about prayer. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing, he wrote. Now, of course, that doesn't mean we spend 24 hours a day on our knees with our heads bowed and our eyes closed praying to God. We can go throughout the day talking to the Lord while we're driving down the highway. Lord, would you please move that car over to the side so I can go a little bit faster? (laughs) We can talk to the Lord wherever we're at. We can talk to the Lord. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. But my question is, is when things are falling apart around you, do you and I take the time to talk to him about it? Or do we try to take things into our own hands and try to wrestle with the situation in our own way? Do we actually take time and wait for God, expecting God to do something that we cannot do? Friends, I don't know where you're at in your Christian life. I really don't. But I do know this, that that each one of us, no matter how long we've been saved, each one of us has some room to grow. Each one of us has some room for improvement. And God desires for us to grow spiritually and to mature spiritually. And part of that is, is these three fundamental things here. Looking to God in every situation of your life, looking to God in every aspect of your life waiting for God expecting him to do something in your life and then talking to God knowing that he'll hear you knowing that he'll hear you I don't know where you're at friend but I hope that you are actively engaged in that maturing process Getting to know God more and more each day. Letting God, letting God guide you and lead you in your life. I tell you what, this world is not getting any better. I look around in the news and look around in the events going on and, and, and around the world, the world's not getting, got, not getting any better. And we need the Lord more and more. Until that day when he takes us home And we get to see our home. We need the Lord more and more. Won't you stand and bow your heads with me, please? We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.